Let's open our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 10. Today we continue on with our verse-by-verse preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to cover today, by the grace of God, verses 1 down to 16. And rather than read the entire passage, I'd like to, if I could, ask you to begin with me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to walk our way piece by piece through this beginning portion of the chapter. Let's bow our heads together, please. Father, help us now as we open up your word. We want to be thus led by your spirit. We want to be, become more like you. And Lord, knowing what lies ahead of us in this passage, I pray that you might reach down today and might the Holy Spirit do a work in some soul today, in some heart today. Father, let us recognize how serious eternal things are. Let us remember that uh, one day there is a judgment. One day we, this life ends, but uh, we don't end. And that something happens beyond the grave. Please make that real to us today. Help me to preach. I pray you'd help these folks to have ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 10. I'd like to preach to you, and this might sound like a strange title for what we're going to be reading. I had a different plan. I had a different, let's say, theme to this sermon, and then the Lord kind of changed my direction last night as I was praying about it. The name of the sermon is Regrets. We're going to talk about regrets. And as we read through the verses, we're going to be talking about how Jesus sent out 70 other men to go into the ministry. Now, they're called various things in in commentaries and throughout church history. In the Bible, they're called disciples. That's a great name for it. Uh, Some people refer to them as apostles. I think that is a fitting name. The word apostle means one who is sent, one who is sent out. That is what happens here. Some people just refer to them as evangelist, whatever the title. The fact of the matter is Jesus sent out more people to preach the gospel. He he sent out extra, he he needed, let's say, extra help. And uh, guys, that's still true today. That's still true today. So these extra 70, if I can just say this before we get into the text, church history has tried to make out a a list of their names. I've never found a reliable list. I I don't know of any list that accurately tells us all 70 of them. That They are not named. The 12 apostles are named. We know who they are. But these other 70, it's almost as if they have a part-time calling, a temporary calling. Go out on what we might refer to as an evangelistic outreach. Maybe you'd think of it like this, go on a missions trip. And Jesus empowers them, enables them to do it, and they get involved. And I promise you this, they never regretted what they did. So I'm going to try to tie those two thoughts together. Let's begin marching through these verses. Verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Remember in chapter 9, He sent out the 12 on a preaching tour. And the whole chapter was about service. And now he sends out other 70 also. And sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. So these 70 are now sent out. They are primarily focused on the southern portion of Israel. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And he's sending these 70 ahead to spread the word, to let people know, behold, thy king cometh. Get ready, you're going to have a chance to come face to face with the Messiah, with the Son of God. So they're preaching a little bit in Samaria, in the central region, but then focusing their attention in the south. When Jesus sent out the twelve, they primarily focused in the north, in what we would consider Galilee, up in that area. So now these 70 are going to cover, and, and let's say talk to a lot more people, simply because there's 70 of them and not just 12. Verse 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are, are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Did you know this is the second time Jesus says this exact phrase, this verse? It appeared, Jesus said this to the twelve right before he sent them out. You read this in Matthew's gospel. Now think about that for a moment. He said to these men, Jesus, we read in Matthew 9, he looked on the multitude and the Bible says he was moved with compassion because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. 
The Bible says that the people were fainting. They, they couldn't figure life out. They were getting tired of life. And Jesus was brokenhearted and said they need help. But Jesus knows I'm just one man. I, I'm limited by this human form. He is God manifest in the flesh. But because he's in the flesh, he can't be at all places at, at all times. So he sends out the 12. And before he sent them out, he said this exact same thing. Gentlemen, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. That is still true today. That, that's still the, the problem today. The harvest, there's so much work to do and not enough people to do it. He said in verse 2, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. One way to make sure you accomplish this command of Jesus to pray for more laborers, you first go be a laborer. And once you try to get this job done, you'll start praying then. <laughs> oh God, please help me, help us send more laborers. This is a bigger job than I thought it was to try to spread the gospel. You would think, after I got saved, I don't know about you, when I received the Lord Jesus Christ as a 20-year-old man, my life changed so drastically in such a short amount of time, I thought to myself, who wouldn't want to hear this? Right? I see a, a lot of you nodding your heads. You had the same experience, right? You, you turn to Christ, your sins are washed away, the Holy Spirit comes in, you, you start reading in the Bible, He that hath the Son hath life, I'm passed from death unto life, old things are passed away, all things become new. I'm talking about my soul is just singing glory, hallelujah, every day and night. And then I'm thinking, who wouldn't want to hear this? Who wouldn't want to know that Jesus can forgive all your sins, give you eternal life as a gift? I mean, really, as a gift? Yes, please, I'll take it. And then you start going around telling people about it. You know what you find out? That they don't want that. Did you know, verse 2, this is the only time Jesus ever shared a prayer request with anybody? This is the only thing Jesus ever asked somebody else to pray about. Did you know that? This is the only thing. He said, there's a harvest, there are people to reach, and there's not enough people to reach him. So he told the 12, pray about it. Then he told the 70, pray about it. And as they're praying, God, send us more help. They are busy helping. So just a question before we go into this. Are you helping this cause? Because I promise you this, one day when you get to the end of your life and you look back, you will look at the opportunities you had to get involved. You will look at the opportunities you had to share the gospel with somebody near you, to pass out one gospel track a day in the month of May. And if you failed to get involved, you will regret that. These 70 have an opportunity to do something they would never regret. Maybe you have a chance to go on a missions trip, to go on an evangelistic outreach. Perhaps you'll never go full-time in the ministry. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary full-time in order to work in the Father's fields. You can get involved somehow. Hey, you know what you can at least do? If it's not even passing out a track, you know what you can at least do? Pray. You know, in my life, I, have, I don't regret one prayer I've ever prayed for a lost soul. Not, I, I don't regret one moment of prayer, ever. The only thing I regret about prayer is that I don't do it enough. <laughs> That's the only thing I regret about prayer. I wish I was better at it. I don't regret one dollar, one kwacha, one rand, or one rupee that I've ever spent on missions. Not one. Anything, any part of my life that has gone toward getting the gospel out, I consider time and money and effort well spent. I have no regrets. No regrets about that. Not one gospel track. I don't regret passing it out. I don't regret coming to a church that preaches the gospel. I'm, I'm glad that I did it. In verse number three, Jesus is going to send them out, and he gives them some advice. This is the same advice that he gave to the 12. Because we've already covered this in chapter nine, I'm not going to say the same things again. I just want to move quickly through it and remind you of what he said because there are some things that all of us can learn. doesn't matter if you're full-time in the ministry or if you're just finding a way to get the gospel out throughout your day in whatever capacity you can. These things are still helpful. In verse 3, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. <laughs> 
okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> you know, the first thing I recognize about working in the Father's fields here, this is serious business. This is a spiritual battle, right? They're not physical lambs. They're not physical wolves. We, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we have to recognize that there is a battle for the souls of men. We need, to, we need to approach it like that. It's not just fancy methods and let's get the, you know, a flashy uh, tract or pamphlet to hand out. That's not all there is to it. The devil is going to fight to hang on to his children. And we have to be ready for that. In verse number four, carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Here's the advice. Travel light and live by faith. Travel light Live by faith. You know that's good advice for life. You know what the Bible says about us running our race? Lay aside every weight. We have some things that is just like static cling. That it just clings to us as we go through life and things just slow us down. You need to put aside the things that are slowing you down. Even if it is some worldly temporal relationship. Look what he says at the end of verse 4. Salute no man by the way. Now, this is not to say that Jesus is against you having friends and fellowshipping with them and stopping to have a conversation, but these 70, they're on the clock. They only have a short time to get the job done. So he says, guys, just for these next few weeks or months, you don't have time to sit and care. Daughter, baby, mug and bean. You don't have time for that. If somebody stops and says, hey, hey, man, Butti, how's it going with you? I'm so sorry. I'm busy at the moment. Now, and... and Again, this is a, a unique time. This is a unique group. They have a special opportunity, so it needs their uh, sharpened focus. When you're talking about an entire lifetime, of course you need relationships and fellowship, and there's a time for that. But, but let's be careful not to let those other relationships, family and friends, overtake what God has called us to do. Don't use your family as an excuse for not getting the gospel out. In verse number five, and into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace be to this house. How's this for advice? Be nice. <laughs> be nice. Don't walk up to people and give them a gospel track and say, hey, buddy, you're going to hell. <laughs> be nice. You're going in peaceful, man, peaceful. You're the lamb. <laughs> you're the lamb, right? Harmless as doves. That's what we're going for. So he says, when you go to a house, peace be to this house. So be kind. Be easy to help. You know, some people are just difficult. Be, be easy to help. Peace be to this house. Verse 6, and if the son of peace be there. So if, if they respond in a peaceful way, if the outcome of your peaceful benediction is peace in return, if they reciprocate, verse 6, your peace shall rest upon it. You guys will get along. You can spend some time in that house and you can accept their help. He says at the end of the verse... If not, it shall turn to you again. What's he saying? If they're not going to be hospitable, move on. Not everybody's going to want to help you. Not, not everybody's on your side. Don't sit there and fight with them. Don't try to manipulate them and make them feel bad because they don't want to help to get something from them. Just move on. Say, okay, well, I, I tried to give you a peaceful greeting. You didn't take it. So I'll take my peace back and I'll leave. <laughs> It shall return to you again. I, I'm not going to force you to be friends with me. Why? Because the longer I spend trying to force someone into a relationship they don't want to have, I could be over there preaching the gospel to someone else. So understand that not everybody's going to be on board with what you're doing. And sometimes you just need to move on. But I will say this. When somebody opens their home, verse 7, and in the same house remain, this, the ones that have welcomed you in, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. So be content with whatever they give. Don't be greedy. If they're being kind and hospitable, take what they give. These people that invited them in, they are not the ones out there preaching the gospel. All they did is provide room and board. I promise you this, they never regretted that. All of these people now are in glory. You understand that? The 70 in heaven. 
The people that opened up their homes, I'm, I'm going to make, I think, a safe assumption. They were also believers. Opened their homes. I promise you, if you were to jump up to heaven real quick, just for a few moments, and find one of these people that we don't know their names, but they opened their home, they gave the apostles bread and tea, and say, do you regret helping them on their evangelism? Nope, don't regret one moment of that. You'll never regret getting involved. You know something else you learn from verse number seven? You don't have to feel bad if people help you. I want to say that out loud because I need somebody to preach that to me as well. There's lots of times that I've extended help to someone. I said, listen, can I please be a blessing? Oh, no, 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 I don't want to be a bother. You're not bothering. I'm asking. Yeah, I'm preaching to a lot of you right now. I'd like to help. You know what I found? There's a lot, I mean a lot of people in this church that want to help. There's just not a lot of people that want to be helped. Yeah, yeah, I got one amen, but I need about 70 others. <laughs> There's a lot of people that want to be a blessing, that are just itching for something to do. And they're not one of the 12. They're not one of the 70. They don't have any special calling, whether it's full-time or part-time. They just want to help. And it's okay. It's okay to take some help. The laborer is worthy of his reward. In verse 8, And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. What's the lesson there? Don't be finicky. Don't be picky. Now, listen, if you got an allergy, please let them know. <laughs> we, we don't need that awkwardness coming later. But, but, but don't be difficult. Don't be difficult. Just, just thank God for what they do provide. We're not in it for this temporal help. I'm not in it for the meal. I'm not in it for the lecker bed that I get to sleep on. This is just a, a means to an end. I, I just need to sleep somewhere so that I can get out there and preach the gospel. Verse 9, we're going to go a little deep for a moment. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. There's a broad lesson I think I can give you from this, and broad advice. Fulfill your ministry. Make sure you do what God has sent you out to do. All right, that's the broad lesson. But, but let me be clear about verse 9. These 70, along with the 12, they had a special ministry. A unique ministry. Because they were living in a unique time. Things were t changing in the greatest way ever. The Old Testament is vanishing away. The New Testament is being instituted. Jesus is heading to the cross. This is a unique time. So in their ministry, please hear this. The Jews require a sign. And they were preaching to Jewish people. So their ministry involved not only preaching the right message, but doing the right miracles that confirmed the message. As you get into the book of Acts, they continue with these miracles and the message of the gospel. Those two things went together. But once the message had been sufficiently confirmed, you no longer see miracles as a part of the gospel ministry. Are, we, are you with me there? I'm not saying that God's power has somehow been lessened. God is perfectly able to do any miracle anytime he wants. From time to time, miracles are necessary in all of our lives. So let, let's not say that God is not doing miracles. He does. But miracles no longer feature as a part of our ministry. Are you with me there? So even though I read verse 9, I'm not... And, and I want to learn from it, I realize that what I'm doing now in the ministry is going to look a little bit different. That's simply because I'm living in a different time. Now, you might think, well, you know, the way we do ministry then, if we don't have miracles, that means, you know, our ministry is a little bit weaker. Oh, but wait just one moment. The Bible says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ, not the miracles of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe it, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So we have something incredibly powerful. It was confirmed under unique circumstances by the miracles, but now, guys, the gospel is all you need. You preach that, that is an, an, it's an astonishing doctrine, the Bible says. 
that somebody would come and take your place and die for you. Realize in verse number 9, what are they preaching? Say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh. So there's miracles, yes, but there's a message. The miracles are there just to confirm and support that message. You realize we don't preach the same thing they preached? None of the 70 went around saying, hey, Jesus is going to die for your sins. They, they didn't preach that. Jesus had just recently revealed that that was going to happen. It hadn't happened yet, right? He hadn't died yet. You and I, we preach not only that the kingdom of God is coming, right? One day when Jesus comes, he establishes the kingdom. You can be a part of it, by the way. You can be a part of it if you'd like to be. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you want to be in that kingdom, you can be born again even today. But see, we preach a, a, a slightly different message. It's not just that the kingdom of God is, is right here, about, it's being offered, it's nigh, it's near you. We're preaching that Jesus died in your place. He carried your sins in his body on the tree. He suffered what you should suffer. He became the sacrifice for your sins. And then on the third day, because he never sinned, God raised him from the dead. He's alive so he can give you life. And he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's what we preach. It's not just that Jesus is offering a kingdom. Jesus is offering a personal relationship with God Almighty. But that's only accomplished if you go to the Father through Christ. That's what, that's what we're preaching. So my overall idea still works. Fulfill your ministry. Make sure that when you go, it's not just about establishing relationships with the people in these homes. It's one thing to make friendly with people in their home. But it's a whole other thing that, hey, while I'm here, let me tell you what Jesus would like to do for you. Because that's more important than making friends. We're sent out to make disciples. In verse number 10, Jesus says, But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not. Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say. So you guys, next Saturday, you men, when we go out into the streets, there you go. We preach in the open air. He said, go out into the streets of the same and say, verse 11, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Listen, this is not something we do to be ugly. We're not trying to be rude. It's not tit for tat, you rejected me, so ha, I'm going to reject you back. It's not that at all. We're trying to send a clear message. We came. We tried. The dust of your city is cleaving to us. You can read in Matthew's gospel, he says to knock the dirt off your shoes. We came and we got our hands dirty. We got our feet dirty. We, we tried. We went everywhere we could telling you what was being offered. But let's be clear, you didn't want any part of what we were offering. So as we leave town, we want you to know, you have no part with us, we have no part with you. It's not the way they wanted it, but we need to be clear, you have rejected the message. What did Jesus teach us about this? If you're not with me, you're against me. Let's make it clear for people. You know, there are a lot of people moving about in the world today that are under the assumption they're okay with God because some Christian in their life is afraid to tell them the truth that, friend, you have not been born again. I love you, but I've got to tell you, you're not where you need to be with God. This isn't a statement of ugliness. We're not trying to be unseemly. We're trying to be clear. Let's be clear where we stand on this. If you fail to enter the kingdom of God, don't blame us. We tried. That's the message. One day, these cities that rejected the apostles, do you think they'll regret that? These towns, these individuals that had these apostles, these 70, these 12 that heard the Lord Jesus, can you imagine the regret they're going to feel? Verse number 12, Jesus begins to shift this a little bit. But I say unto you, now, now remember, this is Jesus talking to the 70. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom. Wow. 
than for that city. You know what happened to Sodom, right? God rained down fire from heaven and destroyed that place. He said, that's nothing compared to what's going to happen to these cities where you go to preach. The punishment is going to be so much more severe because, listen to this, the amount of regret is equal to the amount of what you're missing out on. Sodom did not have 70 evangelists going around preaching to it. Sodom didn't have the Lord Jesus doing miracle after miracle, preaching in the power of the Spirit. They didn't have that. So they didn't reject as much. These towns, what have they rejected? You see, your regret, your sorrow, your grief will be equal to how much you rejected. Jesus says in verse 12 to the 70, don't forget how serious this calling is. Your mission has eternal consequences. Don't forget where these lost people are going to end up. And don't forget what, we, what happened in Sodom, what happened in these other places in the Old Testament where God rained down wrath. If you think that was bad, wait till these sinners stand before God and try to explain why they said no to Jesus Christ. You know what that teaches me? You know what I walk away from that with? I, I had better do my part in making the offer of the kingdom clear. I don't want anybody to get to the judgment and say, well, I was confused because so-and-so, the way, he went to that and that church. He told me this and that made me think. I don't want to send a mixed message. I want to make sure it's clear because I, I don't want that sinner to stand there and say, I'm going to hell because that guy never told me or that lady didn't tell me clearly. I want to take, I want to take this calling quite seriously. You know what Paul said about it? Romans chapter 9. I have a continual sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had a burden for his fellow Jews. He was worried about them. Now listen, he said, I have a continual sorrow in my heart. And at the same time, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. <laughs> Isn't that strange? How do you do both? Well, you know how this is. I'm, I'm, I'm happy in Jesus. What an honor to be included as one of the laborers in the harvest. What a blessing to be in the body of Christ. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I'm seated at the right hand of God. I have eternal life. Thank God for that. I rejoice. But at the same time, my heart is breaking because there might be some people here today that have not received Christ. My heart breaks even further because of what we're about to read in verse 13. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Exclamation mark. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! Exclamation mark. These are two towns north of the Sea of Galilee. That's where the twelve went on their ministry. Jesus spent a lot of time there. Woe unto thee, he says. The word woe means misery to you. You're going to be miserable. Woe unto thee. He says, for it for if the mighty works have been done in Tyre and Sidon, those are Gentile towns farther north, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Why is it so bad for Capernaum? That's where Jesus lived during his earthly ministry. He grew up in Nazareth, but when it came time to preach, his home base became Capernaum. We sing a song, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Heaven came down. Capernaum got exalted. They, they had, that's as close as you can get to heaven. To have God manifest in the flesh, walking around in your town. You talk about an opportunity. You talk about having access to the truth. There is truth personified in your town. Now what excuse do you have for not accepting that truth? You saw how he lived. You heard how he preached. You had the, the, the miracles right there in front of you. You had all the confirmation you needed. Now why would you not accept that? Sometimes people say, well, if Tyre and Sidon 
You know, it says, if they would have seen what Jesus had done, they would have repented. So people sometimes ask, why didn't God send it to them? It wasn't time for Jesus to come down back then. So, so listen to how fair this is. God judges you based on the light you had access to. You know, people sometimes ask that question, what about the heathen that have never heard? Every person that comes into the world has some light in them. Everybody. The Bible says Jesus is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. All of you have a conscience. And therefore, you know right from wrong. You don't even need anybody to teach it to you. You just know it instinctively. God built it into you. The Bible says it's the work of the law written on your heart. You have light. And if that's the only light you have, God will judge you based on that. So God is fair in this. But Jesus is pointing out, you know, those people, if they would have had access, it would have convinced them, you have access, but you're not even paying attention to it. So let's focus on perhaps what you have access to. How many, time, how many sermons do you think Jesus preached in these towns? Just, just think of a number. He preached there for about two and a half years before he headed down to Jerusalem. About two and a half, maybe even three years. How many sermons do you think he preached? How many miracles do you think he performed? And with the miracle, you know he said something. It's not like he just walked out and did a random miracle and walked off. Although that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> just walk by, boom, you can see. And just walk. <laughs> That's a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> but he's going to say something. Now, you, you know what the Bible says about his miracles and his deeds? John the Apostle said, if all of them would be written down, there are not enough books in the world to contain everything he did. Think about that. How much opportunity did they have to get in on the truth? They, they saw Jesus. They saw the apostles. You say, well, shame on them. How many, how many opportunities have you had? How many church services have you sat through now? How many churches have you been in? How many gospel messages have you heard? How many times have you heard about Jesus dying for your sins, being buried and rose again, and yet today still you're not sure where you're going to go when you die? How many opportunities have you turned away? I wonder if somebody hearing Jesus preaching said, ah, you know what, that was a good sermon, but that one thing he said there, yeah, I don't agree with that. So they threw the whole sermon out. Do you know how many times Jesus said something, and you know how it is, we say one thing, but you hear another. <laughs> and then you go out going, did you hear what he said? I didn't say that. Misschien moet ik een Afrikaans praten. It's just so alles duidelijk can be us. Did I say that right? Is that right? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm filled. Anyway, okay, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Back to the point. Sometimes you, you, sometimes you just don't understand one thing that was said, and that's all you can focus on is that one thing that you didn't properly understand, and you threw out the entire message. I wonder how many times that happened to Jesus. I wonder how many times somebody heard him preach saw the miracles, and said, you know what? He's from Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth. <laughs> you know they said that. They, they threw him out. The, the soldier came back, was supposed to arrest Jesus. The soldiers came back, and the Pharisees said, why didn't you bring him? Never man spake like this man. Phew, we can't touch him. They, they recognized how impressive it was. And they said, don't you know, listen, nothing can come out of Nazareth. What kind of makes that's not an excuse. That's not a good one. It's not a good one. Okay, okay. It's an American preaching the gospel. It doesn't change the gospel, it just changes the volume with which I preach it. That's it. It's just a different accent. That's all. Yeehaw! It's it's still the gospel. I've just been wanting to slip that in for a while. I, I've had too much Texas pent up in, inside. 
I bet some of them thought, you know, why is Jesus preaching in Aramaic? Why, why isn't he preaching, in, if, if he's a Jew, why isn't he preaching in Hebrew? And then the next guy said, why isn't he preaching in Greek? And then the, why isn't he preaching in Latin? Oh, come on, man. Why are you worried about which language it is? What is he saying? What is he saying? I wonder if anybody heard him preach and thought, you know, he doesn't have an accredited degree. He never went to any official school. How can we believe what he said? You know they did say that. You can read it in John chapter 7. They said, oh, he doesn't have an accredited, you know, he didn't go to a big, high, fancy Bible school. Didn't need to. Wrote the Bible. <laughs> Everybody else is studying what he wrote. <laughs> the book of Hebrews tells us, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How many times, how close did people come and yet they walked away with this flimsy, silly reason for not following Christ? I mean, is that really a reason to turn down the Son of God who's about to die for your sins? You ask Him today, these cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, go visit them today. You know where they're at, right? Jesus told us where they're at. Verse 15, thrust down to hell. Go ask them today if they regret the decision they made. They will forever regret the decision they made. They had access to the Son of God. Took it lightly. Some years ago, I remember my pastor, Brother Donovan, He's now the pastor of that church. He, he met a, a celebrity. I, you, the name probably will go right past you guys. It's a guy named Jason Kidd with two Ds, K-I-D-D. He's a famous basketball player. I grew up watching him, and he's a great player. So our pastor got to meet him. Brother Donovan was also a big-time basketball player. And so he went to a basketball game, met him, gave him a gospel tract, witnessed to him. Turns out Jason Kidd was saved, but really wasn't living for the Lord. They had a good conversation with him. He's heading for the Hall of Fame. Big deal. Now, now listen, I mean, you think, oh, wow, he got to meet Jason Kidd. Not just another sinner. Amen. Needs the gospel. Right? I, I heard that there was, there was a preacher years ago named Jack Hiles. He's now with the Lord. He was quite, quite the preacher for a while. He met Elvis Presley. And the way the story goes, he led Elvis Presley to Christ. Now, he's like the fourth preacher to do that. <laughs> so a lot of preachers took credit for that. I'm not sure I'd take credit because it doesn't look like he lived and died as a Christian, but <laughs> that, that's how the story goes. You go, wow, I got to meet a celebrity. Elvis is a sinner like anybody else. I, I actually got to meet a celebrity here in South Africa. That particular person was in our church for a while, and I had the privilege of baptizing that person. After a worldwide tour, came back, said, Pastor, would you please baptize me? Then I got to meet the celebrity. It was going to be an espousal. They were going to get engaged. And that, that person's known all over the world. I got to spend an afternoon with them. You know what I walked away with that, from that conversation thinking? They're just people. I mean, I appreciate what they've done. And there's a reason that they have the fame they have. But they're just people. I'm glad I got to meet him. I'm glad I didn't miss that opportunity. I would have regretted not having that opportunity. If they would have said, Pastor, will you please baptize me? And I said, no, I would, I would look back and go, shame. I wish I would have done that. But they're just people. You know, there's sometimes you go, oh, man, I wish I would have been there. I wish I would have met so-and-so. But, but, okay, celebrities are nice to meet, and you finally get to have an interaction with that person and you talk about it, you tell them, hey, I met so-and-so, isn't that cool? Has there ever been a time that you met the King of glory? Have you ever met the Lord Jesus Christ personally? I I've asked this to hundreds of people, thousands of people in various places. And they say, I ask them, are you saved? 
If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd be with the Lord? Would you be with him forever? And they say, yeah, you know, I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure. And I said, well, have you ever received Jesus? Uh, I think so. If you met that celebrity, you would know you met him. Right? You may not remember the exact day or the hour or the time, but you would know, hey, I met that guy. I promise you, if you meet the creator of the universe... (laughs) on a personal level, if you've accepted him as your savior, you may not know the day or the hour, and that's fine. You don't have to, but you know you met him. You know he came to town. He passed by my way. Somebody came and preached and told me about him, and I got on board. And friend, if you've never had that day, I don't want you to regret passing on another opportunity to meet him personally. The Bible says, and Jesus said it himself, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So I ask people this all the time. If somebody comes to your house and knocks at the door, what do you do? Do you tell me, church, what do you do? I can see some of you thinking this is a trick question. It's not. What do you do? Well, you know, what, you know what most people tell me when I say, if somebody knocks at the door, what do you do? They go, open it. No, you don't. This is South Africa. Come on, man. You don't open the door. That's, that's foolish. That's how you die and go see Jesus. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not right. They knock at the door. What do you do? You, you check, right? We have security cameras and we, you know, people outside, guards. We have, you know, we look out the window, we ask. Who's there? What do you want? Right? And then based on what we hear, we either tell them to go away or we open the door. Right? So what's my job today? Look look at verse number 16. Jesus said, he that heareth you heareth me. And he that despiseth you despiseth me. He that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. You know what my job is? It's just to make you aware of the fact somebody's knocking at the door. He's not knocking at my door today. 27 years ago, he knocked at my door. And I answered the door. And I allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and save me. And I've never regretted that. Not one time. My job today is to bring to your attention Jesus. Not someone. Jesus is knocking at your door. You don't want to take that lightly. Did you know that hell is going to be filled with church members? And you know what's so sad about it? You came this close. You were right there with the gospel being right there offered to you. You heard it and perhaps thought, well, going to church makes me a Christian Friend, the church can only tell you that Jesus is knocking at the door. So I thought, you know, if I just tried to be a better person, if I tried to turn over that new leaf, surely God would forgive me then. He would see how hard I tried. Listen, if all you had to do was try hard and turn over a leaf, why would Jesus die? Have you ever thought about that? Why would he die? Because he could just come down and say, listen, Here are my teachings. Do your best to follow them. And if you fail, just say, I'm sorry, and keep going on. He doesn't have to die if that's all you need to be saved. If that's all you need to enter heaven and stay out of hell, if that's all you need for a relationship with him, he doesn't have to die. Forgiveness with God is not found with you saying, sorry for that. An apology is a noble thing to do, but not enough to find you eternal forgiveness. Coming to church is a good thing to do, but good things don't save you. If they could, Jesus doesn't have to die. My job is to make sure you hear that Jesus is knocking at the door. And you have a decision to make. Whether or not you're going to answer that door, or say not now, or say not ever. Because not now does turn into not ever, eventually. Verse 11, if I can just bring your attention back to that, and I'm almost done. Wipe off the dust, right? Look in the middle, notwithstanding, be 
ye what? Sure of this. I don't want you to leave today without knowing for sure how the gospel works. I want you to hear it clearly. I want you to know that Jesus is knocking and I want you to know what he's offering so that if it's not my voice you're hearing, but his voice. I stand at the door and knock, he says, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. So let's be abundantly clear. You have sinned. And to that, everybody in the world ought to nod their head and say, amen, that's right. Yeah, I've sinned, I've sinned. And that means you have broken the laws of God. Somewhere, at some point, you've broken his laws. This means, friend, and there's no way around this, by the way, when you stand at the judgment, God cannot say you're innocent. He can't, because you're not. You're guilty. And if God says you're guilty, he has to punish you. Otherwise, he's not being fair. He's not a just, holy God if he lets your sins just slide by. You must pay for what you've done. The wages of sin is death. You say, well, preacher, everybody's going to die. Oh, but in the Bible, there are two deaths. The Bible says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's an eternal death. If you end up living with God forever, you have eternal life. But if you end up separated from God forever, you have eternal death. That's what we deserve because of our sins. The wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. No way around it. There's nothing you can do. That's why Jesus had to come and do it for you. That's why when he came, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know. Let me have it. L let me have all their sins. Every bad thing they've done, put it on me. I will pay for their sins. He dies. He's buried. Because he never sinned on the third day, he's able to rise up. Because he never sinned. That's the evidence that he never sinned, is that he rose again. But if, but if he never sinned, why did he die in the first place? He died for the same reason you're going to die. Your sins. Now, I want, I want this to be sure. I want this to be clear. Watch, watch up here. You have two options. Option A, you can die and pay for your sins. Bad option. But it's an option. Option B, Jesus already died and paid for your sins. You can receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Either you pay or He pays. You pick. It's that clear. It's, it's that simple. The Bible says there is simplicity in Christ. God doesn't want you to end up in hell. He wants a, an eternal relationship with you. Therefore, He made it easy. He came down in human form and endured the suffering for your sins. Now, if you want to have eternal life, you say, Lord, I hear you knocking. I want you to come in. It's up to you, friend, to say, okay, I've gone to church all my life. I've heard this, but I've never understood it like that, that I personally have to act on it. I have to open the door. I'm not just automatically saved because he knocked. I'm not automatically saved because I heard it. I had to take action. So today, I'm taking that action. Lord, please save me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I promise you this, you'll never regret it. Not once. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist will come and play. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'd like to give you a minute to think about what you've heard. And, and, and not just think, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, we do it like we have a moment of privacy. I don't want you to feel the pressure of what somebody else might think or what they're, you know, will anybody see me? Just you, me, and God right now. That's it. If you're in church this morning, and maybe you've been coming for a while, and maybe you've heard and, and known that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, but maybe you've never received him as the payment for your sins maybe you've never trusted that 
Maybe you've never personally met him as your Savior. And if that's your case today, here's what I'm offering. I, I only want to pray for you. And what I'm going to pray is that God helps you to make the right decision. Okay? But if you're here today and you're not sure that Jesus lives in your heart, I'm asking now that you just slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. You can just slip it up and say, Pastor, just pray for me. I, I need to make that decision. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Several hands. Folks, you understand, just like those 70, nobody's desiring to knock the dust off. and It's not us versus you. We want to help. We don't mind getting our hands dirty, our feet dirty. We want to help. If you just raised your hand, if you so desire, if you understand what Jesus did for you right where you're at, you can pray. You personally talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, I hear you knocking. I want you to come in. I want to be born again. I don't want to pay for my sins. I want to receive the payment you made. I'm trusting you now. Would you pray that? In just a moment, I will pray and I'm going to close the service. And at that point, if, if any of you have any questions about this, I would be honored. Please find me. Say, Pastor, can I have a moment of your time? And we'll go aside privately. We won't embarrass you. And we'll sit and chat. I want to make sure it's clear. I want you to be sure that the kingdom of God is being offered to you. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to tell us how to have a relationship with you and to make it possible. Without his death, burial, and resurrection, we'd have no way back to you. We'd be stranded in our sins. Oh, Father, please, those hands that went up, several hands, please, God, please continue knocking until that door opens. Father, might, might those doors open today Whatever questions might be there, whatever confusions, might you help them today. Lord, thank you for sending somebody my way all those years ago. I've never regretted one moment with you. Lord, not one moment. I don't want anybody here to walk away and regret that today they didn't receive Christ. I don't want any any of these saved people to regret not getting involved with giving the gospel out. Please, Father, help us this week to be busy about your business. Father, we thank you and ask you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here. Lord willing, tonight, 6 o'clock, we have Bible school. We'll see you then.